are you ready for this? We're getting into Revelation. We're going to get to the meat and potatoes today. Just the potatoes if you're Irish like me. But we're picking up our study in Revelation. If you remember, we're calling it The Time is Near. And today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4. We're going to do the whole chapter. It's not that long. It's only 11 verses. And the title of the message is Things Which Must Take Place. Things Which Must Take Place. And if I had to give it a subtitle... Be the one who sat on the throne. The one who sat on the throne. And the reason why I'm leaving it things which must take place is because this is what the one who sat on the throne said. So I think it's important to remember that. But previously we saw the Apostle John exiled on the island of Patmos. He was worshiping God on Sunday. And he had uh, God opened his eyes and revealed Jesus in glory to him. I don't want to say vision because when we say Vision, I think we think of hallucination or seeing something that's not really there. But he saw Jesus walking among seven lampstands with seven stars in his hands. Remember that those were the seven churches, the seven lampstands, uh, and they had the flame of the spirits of God. We saw the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. You know, the Israel is God's people and nation. Jesus is their king and the church is his body. And Jesus is the head of the church. But ideally, these two are grafted together. And I remind us of that, what we talked about last week, because I think it's, well, I know it's important for something that we're going to read today. We went through the past two chapters. It's taken us some time because we took each church in its own chunk of the seven churches. We looked at the loveless, uh, sorry, the loveless church in Ephesus. that They left the first love. The persecuted church in Smyrna wasn't doing anything wrong, but it had to hang on in, until the end. Uh, there was the compromising church. Pergamos. There was a corrupt church, Thyatira, the dead church, Sardis. And then remember they were warned that they need to repent, otherwise that they were going, uh, their candle was going to be taken. The faithful church, Philadelphia. And finally, last time I looked at the lukewarm church in Laodicea, we remember those. And I had some of the harshest words of Jesus, they would be spewed out of his mouth for being lukewarm. But as we get into the rest of Revelation, and at least into chapter 4 today, I want us to remember Matthew 24, and the other things we talked about, about the things that happen right before the end, the things we talked about that are going on right now, the wars, the rumors of wars, the diseases, the famines that are spreading. But these were birth pangs. And again, all these things are happening right now. Everything is beginning to align. And again, it's not so much the specifics of what is happening, you know, that, oh, there was an earthquake there's a bunch of earthquakes in Tennessee. You know, the Bible doesn't say Tennessee. It just says there's going to be earthquakes in various places, in diverse places, and they're going to happen more and more frequently. And that's the important thing, is that these things are coming up to be the final crescendo of our time. I don't know how many notes are left in this measure or the beat, but our time is almost up. It's clear. When a woman is giving birth, I mean, I'm no doctor, <laughs> My wife has had four C-sections. She tried to give birth naturally twice, and uh, that, was, that was crazy. But you could tell when it was getting closer and closer than when her body gave out the first time, you could tell that, well, this wasn't going to happen naturally anymore. And we see the things of the earth, they're happening more and more frequently, closer and closer and closer, and they're not dissipating. They're not turning around and going the other way. And when it comes to the end, and we think of Revelation as not only the end of the Bible, the end of the New Testament, the end of the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the end, we see that if any man adds or takes away from this book, let them be cursed. That there's no more gospels after this. This is it. This is the last piece of scripture in the puzzle. There's no, uh, there's no extra book of Mormon that needs to be added on. This is it. But every great story has an end. And every story has an end. Whether you finished that paper in high school or not, wherever you ended, that was the end of it. Maybe you didn't get a, a full grade or not. But every story is going to have an end one way or the other. It could be good or it could be bad. It can make or break it. Um, we'll talk about it for too long, but Star Wars just ended, the 40-year saga, of the, they call it the Skywalker saga. And these last three movies, I don't know, I mean, they're divided on it, but I don't think it ended well. I think they changed the whole tone of the whole series and kind of undermined it a lot that happened in just a few movies because the people 
we're not Star Wars fans like the rest of us. And it is what it is. But other stories, a lot of times at the end of the movie, they'll leave a cliffhanger. Or it's clear that they're leaving it open for a sequel, for another story to happen. I remember uh, watching the show Lost back in the day when Netflix was, they sent DVDs to your house. I think they still might in a certain way. But I remember watching the end of season six, and it ends with a bang, this nuclear bomb goes off and the screen goes white. And I thought the show was completely over, that this was the end of the show for good. And I was like, I literally got off of my chair and went, what? You know, I just watched six seasons of the show, and some of it was kind of garbage, some of it was interesting. But there was a whole other season to go, and then I really kind of wish it didn't end after season six, because season seven was so weird. But I digress. I bring that up because the judgments we're about to see, and what a lot of people think about Revelation is just the judgment of God coming on the earth, that that is not the end. That is not the last chapter of reality. That this is just what happens at the end. This is the, the rising action that we're in right now. And then the climax of the whole story and the tribulation. But then there's more. There's a millennial kingdom. There's a thousand year reign of Jesus after the judgment that comes on the earth. And we're going to get to that, you know, Lord willing, if we get to the later chapters. There's the final loosing of Satan and then the final judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous. The believers and the unbelievers. And then... There's a whole, what do you call it, an epilogue? A sequel? Because there's a new heavens and a new earth. Like Peter says, this earth and this reality, this fabric of space-time is going to be burned up in a fervent heat and a loud noise, it says in Peter. And God's going to create something brand new, without sin, forever. It's not going to repeat. It's not going to be a loop. Not going to go back and be like Adam and Eve, and we're going to mess up in the garden again. No, it's going to be forever perfect in heaven, a place for us to dwell with God, and His dwelling, as the Bible says, will be with us. Because truthfully, when all of this is over, when all of this life and even the judgment is over, it is just the beginning. We looked at Genesis for fifty chapters about being in the beginning of God with man, but that's also the end forever is that God is going to be with man in a perfect creation better than the garden of eden so to speak because like the bible says the end in ecclesiastes is better than the beginning and for those who are in the lamb's book of life which we'll look into in later chapters that's a new beginning of eternal life for those of us who are Christians this is a new beginning for us we are truly, we are new creations of Christ Jesus now spiritually, but physically we're still in this body. Physically we're still in this fallen world. We're going to have a new body and a new world to live in where we'll forever be new creations. However, for those who wanted their names blotted out, and truly, if you don't believe in Jesus, it's because you don't want to. If you don't go to heaven, it's not because God sent you to hell. It's because you wanted to go to hell. You heard the word of God. You were given opportunity at some point in life, I guarantee over and over, probably millions of times, to be honest with you, every second of every day, every thought, every decision. And your end is an, an eternal ending, an eternal ending of torment and experiential death. It's not eternal life. It's eternal death. It's not an annihilation where you stop existing and there's no memory anymore. You're eternally separated from God in eternal torment and death. It's not a party in hell. Satan is tormented there as well. So in everyday life, where are you looking? What do all of these things happen, the things you read about in the news, or maybe you bury your head because you can't stand to read it, what do they make you think and feel? Jesus might say to you and I about this in Luke 21 and 28, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. That revelation is not to make us cower in fear, so we'll definitely see people cowering in fear in it. It is meant to get us to look up. As we read Revelation, as we see the terrible things that happen and get worse and worse in this world, even if they think it's getting better, it's not getting better. We're meant to look up. Meant to look up. Because, why? Because our saving draws near. That rescue helicopter, so to speak, is just about to come over the mountains and get us. And today, I'm, I'm excited, and maybe it's just going to be me who's excited throughout this message. 
But I love this because we're going to get a very deep look behind the veil. And I don't mean very deep in the sense of my uh, expounding on the scriptures or my ability to teach or anything like that. It's probably going to be very weak in that sense. But what the Bible shows us is very deep. Is the deepest things of all reality, of all time, of all heaven and earth, that the fathers, the people who wrote the Bible before Revelation, wish they could see into wish they could get a glimpse of. And only for 1995, I will tell you about it this morning. Sincerely, don't buy those books or listen to those stories. People say, oh, I went to hell and I came back. No, you didn't. I went to heaven and I came back. No, you didn't. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 6, it is doubtless and not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man... I believe he's talking about himself, in Christ, who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Remember, the first heaven is the sky, second heaven is outer space, third heaven is the spiritual realm of heaven where God dwells. And it's not necessarily stacked on each other like a pie. When It, it kind of is and it kind of isn't. I mean, I, you know, I won't get it because my tiny brain can't handle it. But he says in verse 4 how he was caught up into paradise or heaven and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, and of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. He's saying, I saw, basically Paul saying, look, I saw heaven. I can't even tell you that I saw heaven because it would be illegal for me. I can't even tell you the things I heard and saw because I could never express them and it would be against the law for me to tell you. It would ruin it because the things, I could never describe it accurately. Could never, it would always just dumb down the picture of what it is. He's saying, instead, I'm going to tell you how weak I am. I'm going to tell you how messed up I am and how much in need of God's grace I am. They may see me for what I am, not some amazing person who ascended to heaven. And that's what these other people want. They really, they don't care if you see heaven or hell. They care if you see them as someone amazing who's been somewhere where no one else has been. And the reality is, if you look in scriptures, all throughout it, we can get pictures of heaven. Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Revelation, just to name a few. It's all over. Job. Read the beginning of Job. You get a good picture. And we get to see on the other side of that glass darkly that Paul talks about, that tinted glass. We get to see, not just into heaven. You know, we took the kids bike riding at uh, the elementary school yesterday because there's a lot of snow in our driveway. It makes it a little hard for them to ride their bikes. We want to do something. And they're under construction. So I went over and I kind of peered through the glass. I couldn't really see from the outside, but I peered through and I saw, oh, well, they've got stuff up on end. They're putting in carpet. So they were totally done with these classrooms. I kind of get a sense where the classroom is like, but I've never been in there. I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know when it'll be over. I just kind of got a glimpse of it, right? And that's the sort of thing we get a lot of times in life when we read through parts of scripture that we're probably most familiar with. We, we see through a glass darkly. With our earthly understanding, we barely understand. And even after today, I think we're barely going to understand. But I think in passages like this and the others we discussed, we get a better picture. It's like going on the end of the school and walking around, going into that classroom and seeing what's actually going on, going in and seeing what the principal's and superintendent's office is like. And it's all perfectly, perfectly legal to read, to understand, to know, to study, to think about. God wouldn't have written it down if he didn't want us to see it. It's not an accident that John wrote this stuff down. God told him to write this stuff down. God gave him this vision. As we'll see today, God called him up to heaven that he might tell us about it. God wants us to know these things. It doesn't need to be a mystery anymore. We're not hidden behind the veil of the Holy of Holies in the temple because of the blood of Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus. It's split wide open and we can go right in. And today, that's what we're going to do in chapter four. We're going to go right in to the Holy of Holies. And with that, wouldn't you want to know the future? Wouldn't you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to keep my job? Am I going to win the lottery? You know, you'd, you'd probably bet different numbers when you went and played the lottery, and I don't suggest you do. 
It's uh, stealing from the poor. Or if you ever saw Back to the Future 2, they go into the future in 2015, which is the past of us now, which makes me feel old. But they got this book called Gray Sports Almanac. It had all the sports winnings for the past 50, 50 some odd years. And then they went back in time and they lost it to the bad guy, to Biff. He took it and he made his all fortune by betting out of this book and winning and uh, it created this alternate timeline or whatever. Governments would love to know the future. Stock markets, wouldn't you bet? I, I bet you a couple weeks ago, I would have dropped $400 on Tesla stock if I knew that this week it would be up over $900. You know, like I don't even own stock, but knowing that I could double my money in two weeks if I just invested it, but that's not a guarantee. It could have gone down by $400. But with this, with Revelation and other areas of scriptures, you and I can see the future and know exactly that it's going to happen. Because it's already written. And I don't want to get into the whole fate-destiny argument. It's not fate. In some sense it's destiny. It's not fate where you don't have a choice. You, still, you and I still have free will. But God knows exactly what's going to happen. And that just because he knows it's going to happen doesn't mean he's made the choice for you. And just because he's, he's seen uh, the end from the beginning doesn't mean that you still aren't going to make the choices that you're going to make. He just knows what you're going to choose. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will to do all my pleasure. That God knows what's going to happen. He knew before he created everything what the end was going to be like, and from the end he can see perfectly all the way back to the beginning. He knows every little thing that's going on, every decision, everything that's going to happen. He's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and he's omniscient. He's everywhere, he's all-powerful, and he knows everything. And this God has given us spiritual insight into exactly what's about to happen in our world. We even know some of the physical outcomes. We're going to see a lot of the spiritual players, and maybe we don't know the physical names. Some of the ones we do get physical names, like Gog and Magog. We know exactly who they are. But others, we don't know the Antichrist name. We don't know some of the things exactly the way they play out, but we know spiritually what they're going to look like. Because again, our life is not just this physical place. It is a spiritual and physical world that are bound together. Just because we can't see the spiritual doesn't mean it's here. That there are spiritual things that happen, like Daniel was praying, and he didn't get an answer for 21 days because the angel who was sent to give him the message was bound up fighting another angel uh, in an area. I mean, there's, there's some deep things that you could get into, and I think we shy away from it because it would alter our perception of reality. And I hope today that this will alter your perception of reality. But why do we shy away from it? Why do we not want to see it? Why do we want to understand it? Perhaps it's sin. Perhaps it's we just like looking at the earth and we don't want to be distracted. Have you guys, uh, I remember Plato's Myth of the Cave, where basically someone is tied up in a chair and behind them is almost like a projector. He didn't project it back then, but it was these demonic creatures putting this vision on the wall of reality, and this person is bound up in it. And it took someone coming from out of the reality to come and rescue him. And, Really, you know, it's Plato, it's philosophy, but when you look at it, he was getting close to the reality of Scripture. It took Jesus, one, to come down from out of our reality, break our chains, show us that this little thing we're staring at, that the demonic powers of the world are making us look at, is really not the bounds of reality. It's fake, it's false, it's vanity. Let's not be distracted by the enemy this morning. I know we can't look directly in the sun. They say when the, uh, the eclipse happens, to not look at it, it could burn your retinas. We made that box. But by the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God today, I think we can look directly into heaven, into God's throne, and into the future. And Lord, we pray this morning we would not be distracted, that God, you would draw us close, fill us, Holy Spirit, speak through your Word uh, this morning, we pray. And bless all those who listen. May they hear, listen, read, be blessed. The things that are in Revelation. Come soon, we pray. And we thank you that you're in control. And nothing moves you. You know the end from the beginning. We love you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.
So let's read Revelation chapter 4. We're going to take it in three little chunks, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to read part of verse 6, and then we'll read 6 through 11. So let's look at Revelation 4, 1 through 5, as I take a sip here. After these things I looked. Behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit. Just remember, this, John is writing this. This is he's telling us what happened to him. Behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. I think if you and I saw these things, would we even tell anybody? You'd probably be afraid of being committed, right? Verse 3 says, And he who sat on there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And we're going to stop there. The phrase after these things, meditata, just means after this. After this. After this age, I believe. After the age that Jesus was talking about, the church age. After this. Also the very thing while John still saw on earth. Um, this was just what, after this. I saw Jesus and walking down that aisle with the, the lampstands. He told me what to say to the verses. And immediately after this, I see a door opening to heaven in a voice like a trumpet. So this is just the next thing that happened. He's just like, this is what's next. But it's also what's next for us. That the things that we're going to get into in heaven, we've looked at the church on earth. Now, the only place we're going to see the church is in heaven. You know, I believe it's because of the rapture. I mean, we could argue a lot of different things, but anytime we look at the earth from now on, we don't see the church in operation anymore. We see judgments happening. Anytime we see believers, they're in heaven. Um, or they're talking about those who are being martyred for their faith and time saints. And not that there won't be believers on earth, but it's not the same as the age we're in. So the age we're in is over. The words to the church is over, as far as like specific instructions for the church. And now from chapter 4 going forward, it's specific words about what's going to happen next. Now John's there. John's in heaven. 2,000 years ago, John was transported to heaven and saw this. So I need you, like they said, like Doc says in Back to the Future, he never really understands it when he says it. You're not thinking fourth dimensionally, Marty. Marty was afraid he was going to drive his car into this thing of Indians, and Doc says, no, they won't even be there. Then when he gets back to the Old West, there's a bunch of Native Americans on horses riding doors. It's a joke. But the point is, is that the things that we're going to talk about, we need to realize that God's throne in, in heaven that God's throne in heaven is, it's in eternity. It's not bound by the same rules that we're in, that we are encapsulated in a reality of space-time. That we are traveling through time, and we can't stop it. A lot of movies are about time travel, um, about trying to break the rules of that and slow it down, go back, go forward. But we're stuck. We're, we're going. One way, one way or the other, we're, we're in this. But God's throne is outside of that. The spiritual heaven is outside of all that. In the sense where the sky surrounds us on earth, the first heaven. The second heaven, in the sense, the universe surrounds our planet. Not that it's earth-centric. And then outside the universe, sort of sense, is surrounded by the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm kind of weaves through the reality we're in, too. But to kind of look at it in that way. That, God, that John is now outside of time and able to see things from God's perspective. What God shows him... The end from the beginning, the beginning from the end is easy. It's, if you think about a, a, a roll of film, right? Or a film in a movie, there's different frames. And the first frame is the beginning of the movie and the last frame is the end of the movie. And when they play it, you just watch one frame at a time, 24 frames a second, and it looks like it's moving. And you can fast forward and rewind, right? And that's sort of the same way with God and time and reality. You can kind of pull it out and look, and this is what happens here and here, and he knows all that happens. And, and that's a... A weak example, but that helps me understand it in a way. So hopefully it'll help you. But he looked. Can you imagine after seeing all these things, with Jesus walking and the words for the church, hearing what's going to happen to the church and what the church is really like, God showing what the 
Churches, no matter what they look on the outside, this is what they look on the inside. Can you imagine that? Now he sees a door open in heaven. That his journey is not over. Now he's got a portal through space-time into another dimension. Beyond outer space, into heaven itself. It reminds me of when Stephen was martyred. He looked and he saw Jesus standing in heaven, welcoming him, right? Or Peter, when he was dozing on the rooftop before lunch and was hungry, and he saw this sheet, this vision of this sheet coming down out of heaven, this symbolic thing of animals, talking about the Gentiles not being clean anymore, not being unclean because of Jesus. And as he looks, I picture just this kind of white glowing door open, you know, there's just this hole in the sky, and you can tell it's not really in the sky, and this trumpet voice comes out of it. He says, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. This booming, strong trumpet voice. And he's raptured up into heaven in the spirit. And the trumpet was used to call to war. It was used to call to worship, call people to gather, to give warnings of something happening. You know, we've still got like fire alarms or earthquake alarms. Or I remember last year, Hawaii set off their uh, nuclear missile alarm by accident. Uh, when, they were, when all the things going on in North Korea. <laughs> I can't imagine. You know? And that's sort of what happened here. Even a kingly procession. You know, they blow the trumpet before the king shows up. He says, come up here. And the voice says, I will show you things which must take place after this. Which must take place. That these things are not optional. They're not, in a sense, because God likes to judge people. God's like, you know what? I've been waiting for all eternity to judge everybody. I'm excited for this. And we shouldn't be excited for the judgment. I'm excited because I get to appear into heaven. I'm excited because justice is coming and Jesus is coming back. But I'm not excited for the world to fall apart and people be killed and all the awful things that are going to happen. But they must take place. And we can't avoid reading Revelation because the things in Revelation must take place. It's not an optional book of the Bible. It's required reading for any believer who desires to be mature. And, and not that I, I'm mature or attained, but I understand that these things I need to know. In fact, these are the things that got my attention that brought me back to the Lord. Because they have to be done for righteousness to continue. That God's holiness was able to put up with these things until a certain point in time after which it would no longer be holy of God to be gracious. That God's grace has to come to an end in order for it to be grace. That God's grace has for it to come to an end and judgment has to happen for God to be righteous and holy and just. And above all else, love. Because if someone hurts my family or is trying to hurt them, and I tell my kids I love them, but I don't stop that person from hurting them, I don't love my kids. If I don't discipline my kids at some point, I don't love them because I'll let them run off and get hurt forever. And God is not going to let us run off and get hurt forever. He's going to bring in the spiritual spanking on all the earth as a last-ditch effort to get us to turn and to show the world that those who didn't turn truly did not want to turn, no matter what happened to them. And again, after this is repeated, it's clear that the first three chapters, their contents, their message, their vision was fully expanded by Jesus. That everything that Jesus had to say specifically to the church had been said. That from here on out, yes, it's for the church to read, but I believe it's also for the world to read. For the world to come to understanding and see that judgment is coming and judgment is just and God is righteous and holy. Because it's time to get a different perspective. It's time to get the perspective on heaven down to earth. We were given a perspective on the church before, and we're given it, we kind of look from earth up to heaven with our telescopes. We try and imagine things vainly, spiritually, right? But the perspective of seeing the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, it's time to go up to heaven, to come up here and see the things which must take place from the perspective of God on his throne in eternal heaven. The perspective of seeing what our actions look like from heaven and seeing how truly they deserve what is coming. And he says immediately in the spirit, he was transported right to heaven. There's no need for a long walk. 
There's no need for interstellar travel and warp drive. The spirit can, can, can and does transcend space and time. Remember, Jesus appeared in the room after the resurrection with his disciples, and he wasn't just a spirit. A spirit, you would think a ghost could come just through the, the walls, right? It's just like this spiritual fog, right? But Jesus ate with them. He was showing them, I'm not just a spirit. I am a heavenly body. I'm a perfect body, a resurrected body with the spirit in one, unified the way it was supposed to be for all eternity. That you can interact with physical reality, but he's not bound by it anymore. That the chains of sin and death have been broken and he's free to come and go as he pleases. In fact, scientists, uh, mathematicians believe, I, I believe they still believe this, but there's about 10 dimensions. And they believe a lot of them are curled up on each other and it's really kind of confusing. But if you look back at ancient scholars of, Revel, of Genesis, they too believe there are about 10, gen, 10 uh, dimensions. And I'm not going to get into these being exact proofs or not, but I think it's interesting to look at that perhaps at the fall, that sin tore apart this reality, that our dimensions were tore apart to where we were a spiritual being in a physical body, and we had communion with God, and we walked with God in the garden, and then something broke. And we no longer saw God, and we began to see things differently from an earthly, I'm naked, and God's like, who told you you were naked? I made you perfect like this, but now that we're separated from God, to be naked is bad. It's not liberating. You haven't become enlightened because you joined some nudist colony. You're weird and you're insane. It's supposed to be covered now because the spiritual covering is gone. If there was a spiritual covering before. That's not there. And there are weird things going on in our day and age. Just spend a couple hours on YouTube one night. I have it on my TV. It's easy. These things make mainstream news. They have video clips even military action pursuing strange things going on. And whether it's a military project part of the Space Force, I don't think so. I, mean, I don't want to get into it for too long, but the whole UFO phenomenon. There's a lot of ties to these things and spiritual happenings. And to me, you read the Bible and I go, oh no, that's just an angel. Probably not a holy one. Probably a fallen one. Putting lying signs and wonders in the sky and making us think that they're from outer space, from the second heaven, but they're really from the third heaven, and they move. How do they break the laws of physics? I'll tell you why. Because it's spiritual. And the spirit is not bound by the physical. When our, our spirit is tied to our body, like you might read into some areas of Scripture, it talks about the silver cord being loose, that when we die, something breaks, and our spirit separates from our body. But let's get back to that throne in heaven. I could go on for that. For a while and it's interesting but it's not the focus of today's study because we want to look at the throne set in heaven and the one on the throne now, this is it this is the very throne of all heaven we did john didn't come up and say hey peter how you doing and peter looks in this book says let me give you the tour of heaven takes him around no john goes straight to jesus on the throne god calls him to heaven the door opens up he appears right before god right before him there's no red velvet rope he's right before god isaiah 6 isaiah had a similar experience he says in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple the temple of heaven above it stood seraphim each one had six wings and the two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one cried to another saying holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That this stuff, guys, excites me. We are seeing heaven, that this is heaven, God's very abode. And we have an all-access pass. All we have to do is pick up Revelation, pick up Isaiah, pick up Ezekiel, pick up Daniel. And we can go to heaven. I dare say it, you can spend time in worship, and spiritually, you can go to heaven. 
Now, I don't want to make that sound too weird and too out there. I know that we're here, but there's some part of it about worshiping God in the spirit where you're transported to heaven, I believe. It's obviously, it's not like you go there and see it, but somehow you're connected. Somehow you're right there. I, I don't know how to explain it. And I think people struggle. I know people struggle. I struggle with things like the virgin birth, parting of the Red Sea. But seriously, guys, when you read Revelation, you're going to see that believing in those things is nothing compared to what you're about to see. I always liken the new heavens and new earth, as we'll get to it. It's described as a 1,200-mile cube city coming out of heaven. And all I can think about in my nerdy high school Star Trek, high school mind, I don't like Star Trek anymore so much, but they had this Borg, was this big cube spaceship, and that's all I can picture. It's this big cube city coming out. It's in the Bible, guys. So if you can't handle the virgin birth, if you can't handle this, well, I mean, you have to really understand what you believe. It's weird and it's awesome, but more than that, it's true. It's not like the Mormons believe where Adam was our father and he came from another planet and he ascended to be God and had one of his wives, Eve, and you too can ascend and you'll have your own planet and a life one day and you'll populate. No, that's weird. That's wrong. That's a doctrine of demons. This is real. This is it, guys. This is, as Christians, if we're believers, we're going here one day. Don't you want to know about it? You got a new job, someplace you don't want to go. You find out everything you can about it. You're going on vacation. You want to move somewhere. You look up everywhere you can to find everything about it. And we as believers, we're going to heaven to spend all eternity there, where reality isn't even a millisecond on our radar. And we don't want to read this. This doesn't excite us. Something's wrong. Again, these things like the party in the Red Sea are child's play in the spiritual realm, and we're going straight to the top of this one. We're going right to the throne. And for the rest of Revelation, especially toward the end, when you and I see more of what reality truly looks like, what the Bible actually teaches is going to happen, and in some sense from eternity looking in, I can't explain it, has already happened, we're never going to doubt those little simple miracles again. When we come to grips with what's going to happen, what Revelation teaches who God is, we're going to go, of course he can split the Red Sea. Give me a break. That's nothing. Because it's beautiful. God can, God can sneeze and the oceans would fly off the earth. So parting a little Red Sea for a couple hundred thousand people to walk through, not a big deal. And his appearance on the throne, this God, he looked like Jasper, Sardius, and Emerald. And Jasper, I looked up, it looked kind of like burnt red, and Sardius kind of looked the same way. I have pictures in the notes, you can download it, look at it later. Uh, it has these dark lines here, it's beautiful, these stones, and this rainbow around the throne. Think about this glow just emanating out of the throne, but it's not a rainbow, like multiple colors like we see here on Earth. It is emerald green. It's almost like kryptonite, you know, this green color, nuclear blast coming out from the throne, right? It's brilliant. And this, this appearance, no idol made out of these stones with a couple of LEDs in the back is ever going to come close to that. No drawing of Jesus. There's some YouTube channel like, or some ministry, I guess, called Jesus Image. And it's got a, like, what are you doing? Not even close. It degradates, it degrades the name of God, the image of God. No imagination could come up with this. And even this description, I believe, is still a struggle. It's kind of like, it kind of looked like a Jasper. It kind of, like, you know, it's about as close as I can get. Especially as we see some of the other things that happen later in Revelation. He's like, it kind of looked like that. I mean, how do you, I mean, if it was a helicopter, for instance, how would someone from 2,000 years ago explain that? I don't know that he could, other than what John says. And I believe it's interesting that we see a rainbow again. This time, before judgment. Last time we saw a rainbow, it was after judgment. Promising peace to never flood the earth again. And this one, I believe, is showing who is in charge. Where the real power and all authority come from in all the universe. I still think that somehow this is the glory of God shining through Jesus on the throne here. That the Bible talks about no man will see the Father and live, that he dwells in unapproachable light. So I think somehow, Jesus being the image of the invisible God, right? 
And Jesus said, if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. Somehow God's glory is kind of shining through the stained glass of Jesus here, so to speak. And this trumpet voice came from above the throne. Everyone else John sees is preoccupied with worshiping the one on the throne. The elders, the angels, none of them are talking to him. They're worshiping God. So the trumpet voice is God himself. And we see 24 elders on 24 thrones. They're wearing white robes and gold crowns. And how do you get to 24? What's the significance of 24? Well, how many tribes of Israel were there? 12. How many apostles were there? 12. We got 24 elders. We have one group. They're not separated. It's not 12 over here and 12 over there. This 12 is better than this 12. They're unified. They're all wearing crowns. They're all wearing white robes. And they're all saying the same things. And once more, from the throne itself come lightnings, thunderings, voices. Can you imagine? This glowing thing, these beings worshiping, these elders with thrones beneath it. This glow, the color, the brightness, the fire, lightning and thunder bursting out of it. And all these voices, these, you know, like, think of many tongues speaking at once coming out from it. I'm getting chills thinking about it because that's both beautiful and awe-inspiring and scary as all get out. This is what we believe, guys. This is who Jesus is. This is Jesus revealed. He's not some hippie carpenter. He kind of was on earth, but not right now. And this throne itself, it's not some Game of Thrones chair that someone made. It's living spiritual creatures. It's a group of them. And for time, I'm not going to turn there, but please read Ezekiel chapter 1 later. It is mind-blowing. Wheels within wheels. The spirit moves. The creatures move. It's like this amazing spiritual drone craft UFO that is God's throne. And before it, there's seven lamps of fire being the seven spirits of God. That Somehow the Trinity is represented in this. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is burning in the churches. The churches on earth are the physical manifestation of the lampstands in space time. That in heaven, there's these lampstands that represent the Spirit of God, right? For the throne. But on the earth, the churches are the physical lampstands. And the Holy Spirit is meant to be burning with the seven spirits of God, right? And they're this picture of this heavenly thing. We don't look like a lampstand, but that's what we are spiritually. So when all the lampstands are removed, either by their own burning out or by the rapture, they're only before the throne in heaven. Let's go on to verse 6. We're only going to read the first sentence in 6 because I want to dive into that a little bit with my kind of weird mind. And it says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And it goes on. So I don't want to spend too much time on there. I'm afraid if we skip it, we might miss something really interesting, or something I find really interesting at least. Something that's been preoccupying my thoughts for years now. And the more I consider it and meditate on it, not so much like I'm sitting around thinking about my navel, but like think about it and chew on it and pay attention to the world around me and read other scriptures. And please take this with a grain of Himalayan sea salt because it's just my understanding at this point and my perspective, and it could be totally wrong. Don't take it as gospel. But I believe that this is reality, that that sea of glass is all of space-time. It's the universe, past, present, and future, right before God. And I've always kind of had that inkling, and it could be wrong, and I'll get there, and God's going to go, give me a break. But doesn't God talk about the earth being his footstool, right? So God puts his foot on the earth and, you know, I, I don't want to take things always too literally. But let me talk to you about some other things that have come up lately in science and technology. Scientists believe, and I'd have to find the quotes for you, but I believe it's common knowledge, that they, they think the universe to be really big, relatively flat, but disk in nature. That it's not this ball of a universe, but it's this flat disc and I, I say flat you know it's probably thousands of light years thick you know or millions of light years thick you know I, you know i believe the speed of light has changed over time based on different measurements and things but that doesn't fit with the modern narrative 
but I digress. That it's this big, flat, round disk, right? There's other scientific theories now that they really believe we're living in a hologram, that we're living in a simulation, almost like the Matrix, where when they look at the fabric of reality, they look at the way things work with quantum mechanics, they go, this is behaving much like a simulation. And I can't get into it from my pea brain or the time here because I don't want to distract from it. But look some of these things up if you're, if you're brave enough. I remember learning about string theory a long time ago where you have you know, our reality and then you zoom in closer and you've got cells and closer molecules and atoms and the parts that make up atoms and the parts that make up those parts. But they believe at the very base of it is all these different things they're calling strings. And they behave almost like notes, like sound. And I, I remember I was around the time I got saved learning about this. I'm like, could that be the voice of God? When God spoke? That these are the very reverberations of God's voice? And the very reverberations play together like notes in music and become quarks and, you know, borons or whatever else they call them, and neutrons and come together. I mean, it's like, God made this reality, guys. God made the thing, you know, like we tend to separate the spiritual from the physical, and I get that. But God made cells. God made nuclear power, you know, in the sense of the way the universe works, the strong force, weak force, electromagnetism, gravity. Still can't explain gravity, but the Bible says God holds all things together. You know, I was watching something recently about uh, film archival and how film doesn't last and even data like on a computer drive won't last for too long. Uh, VHS tapes last, tape storage lasts like 15, 25 years before it wears out just sitting there. Microsoft is working with Warner Brothers to archive films where they take like a piece of glass, a special like really high quality piece of glass and they have these lasers that are focused on it to where they can write data in the middle of the glass. So it's almost like a CD, but deep in the glass, like a CD's on the surface. And, th and they're trying to work on this and perfect it so they can have data archival, like crazy amounts of data in something like the size of, you know, a, a cracker made out of glass. And it's hard and you can't, if you scratch it, you can just polish the top and the data is safe from the inside. But they also have something called holographic memory. Like, you know, if you had a hologram, like on your credit card, it's got that little hologram where you turn it and it's all these different images somehow encapsulated in sort of a prism of an, you know, of a substrate and there's an image in it. And they try to work on storing data in that as well. And when it, to come back to that whole simulation thing, I don't like using the word because I feel like it, it dumbs down reality. And it, it, if it's just a simulation, it, if we use the word simulation, it almost takes away our responsibility to it. Like, it's just a simulation, it's not a big deal if I sin, you know, right? But with all these things, and science is just now starting to, to come up with these things and believe these things, I go, when I read the Bible, I kind of see it there already. And not that I'm getting the Bible to match up with the world, but I think the world's catching up with the Bible. And I don't believe that evolution is in the Bible. I'm not trying to say that. But it's interesting that we even now look at flat screen TVs that before our thrones at the couch... We have this big flat crystal that plays all these images, whatever we want to see. We can see whatever we want. We can rewind and go to the back and the forward. We've got our phones always before us. We can communicate with everything, see anything in the world in a minute. You type it in, anything you ever want to see, good or bad, is right there before you. And the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun, that we're made in God's image. And we love driving around on our thrones on the highway. The more fancy our throne is, the more special we are as people, right? Or at least we think so blasting our music in our cars worshiping our own desires is this music that we're blasting right looking at these devices we have always before us and i don't think we're that far off here because the enemy loves to create inferior replicas we love to exalt ourselves into the place of god do we not and look at the way the technology has gone what we made we've got our own throne cars that soon are going to drive themselves just like god's throne does in a sense Angels go up and down on a ladder to heaven with Jacob. And I think it's also interesting here that the enemy was covered in stones in heaven. There's this occultic occupation. Uh, I wrote occupation. That's not what I mean. They're like occupied with crystals and stones. Preoccupation, that's the word. The umen and thumen, the weird stones that the, we don't even know what they were. The Israelites would pull out. It would be like, kind of like a yes or no thing behind the priest's garment. The breastplate that the high priest wore, 12 jewels on it. In Revelation 2.17, we read recently, stone with a new name written that 
you know, there's these images in heaven of God being like these stones and there's all these good pictures of it and all these other false spiritual preoccupations with them. But God can always see everything, and I hate to say it, but almost like pinch to zoom in that crystal sea. And I don't mean to dumb it down that much, but I think if we begin to realize that this picture of heaven is real, and all of this combined is reality, it'll give us a much uh, bigger picture and much more comfort that God is truly in control, that this life isn't all that we're to live for, and truly that the end is closer than the world would want you and I to believe and for reasons totally different than what the world tells us is coming to the end. It's not coming to the end because we drive too many SUVs. It's coming to the end because of sin. That this world is looking down on earth from earth, but we get to see heaven from heaven and earth from heaven. Our worldview, believer, should be different than everyone else's. Because if it's not, whose crystal sea are you looking into? Are you looking into the clear word of God, the water of the word? Or are you looking into the crystal ball of television, and the crystal ball of even worse, occultic practices? Because when you look into the word of God, the connections between righteousness and the end and truth become obvious, and the brokenness of the world through sin becomes easily visible, and it's extremely glaring. And more than that, the judgment coming due to the vast difference between true holiness and God's holiness and our idea of what's right versus what really is right is so much clearer than even a storm coming on the horizon. And let's read the last few verses here as we come to a close. Verse 6b, it says, In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back, And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Again, he keeps saying like, that this isn't a a calf, this isn't an eagle, but they look like them, that they are in the spiritual realm, but they have these characteristics that remind them of these physical creatures. You know, where again, we're made in the image of God, and God put us over all creation, and there's all these strange creatures. Like You begin to watch nature shows, you go, creatures are weird. And the same thing in the spiritual. Though. There are some weird-looking creatures in the spiritual realm. Verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest night or day, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And even creation, Romans 1 tells us, that creation gives glory to God makes the invisible attributes of God clearly visible. But I believe even though when the hawk makes its noise, it's not saying holy, holy, holy in audible words. It's proclaiming that God is holy and that God is real. Verse 9, When the liver of the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I love that. By your will they exist. We see four living creatures again, very similar to Ezekiel's vision. The cherubim uh, are the type of angels that are right before God. We see them in the temple. They built these giant angels that are, I guess, like 15 feet tall and have this huge wingspan out of gold. Even on the Ark of the Covenant, if, even if you remember um, Indiana Jones, they had the Ark of the Covenant with the... the the hands over it with the wings spread over the, the holy seat. And that's what we see here is all these things were pictures of heaven and the throne of God. But that these creatures had eyes all over them, and I'm sure it looked a little creepy, but I think it also can represent that these things were not just dumb vehicles, spiritual machines or robots, like the commentary says, but they were insightful beings. They weren't just mindlessly worshiping God, but they, with full insight into heaven and the things of God, worshipped him for what he is, and were glad to do it. You know, it was believed the enemy was a, a cherubim, and these guys were a seraphim as well, thinking that he could ascend. He's there leading heaven, covered in jewels, bedazzled, like a jean jacket, leading all heaven in worship. And what does he do when Satan fell? He looks up and goes, I could ascend. I could be like God. Cast out of heaven, because there's... 
there's iniquity was found in him. How could you stand before this and go, I get a son to that? No. You're just a dumb little being. As amazingly as you were created, you are dumb and foolish compared to God. And it's obvious God is who God is. And that's why Satan can't be redeemed because he has no excuse. And truthfully, you and I don't have an excuse either. We've seen creation. We've heard the gospel. And we tested the things of God. But these creatures, they do not rest day or night or for all eternity. That this singing doesn't wear them out. They do not grow bored with it. Oh, can we sing another song today, guys? It doesn't work like that. And they don't sound like a broken record. I don't know how many times you and I have put our favorite song on repeat, but they, this is their favorite song to sing, and they'll sing it for all eternity. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I mean, picture this. The throne. The one who sat on it. I spelled it wrong in the notes. Thunders. Lightnings. Elders casting their crowns. These creatures, eyes all over. The throne, voices, uttering, moving. Doesn't it get you pumped? Doesn't everything, who cares what's happening later today? This is amazing. And the elders repeatedly bow in worship, and it'll never get old. Like that song we sing, but do we really mean it? And I could sing of your love forever. And that's what they're doing. That you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That it's God's will alone that anything exists and continues to exist and was created. That he chose. Nothing evolved. Nothing happened by chance. It was all God's will. And the only reason you and I are still here breathing and listening to this is because it's God's will. God's will is that all would come to repentance. All would come to salvation. All would come to him and avoid this judgment about to come. And everyone in heaven knows it and worships him in spirit and truth for it. Colossians 1, 13 through 17. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of his son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Talking about the spiritual realm too. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That this is heaven. That we are taken right to the authority of all authorities. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. The power over all reality. The one who wills reality to even exist. If it's a simulation, it's because God wills it to be. All dimensions, all beings, all time, all eternity bows to the one upon the throne. And I want to touch on this one real quick as we close. But there's this big thing going around about alternate universes. And a lot of kids are swept up in it. That there's, for every, you know, and science, and science is trying to prove it. It's called the multiverse. Where every decision you ever, every possibility of everything you ever be. Like, we have our reality here, but then there might be another reality where the couches are blue. And that's the only difference between our reality and that reality. Another one where there's more and more differences, so on and so forth, where you had two brothers or one brother, or you made this choice or you made that choice. Infinite upon infinite upon infinite reality is very thing. And, and they don't exist, guys. There's one reality. I think if anything, what science is seeing when they're trying to look at that with quantum mechanics and everything is free will. It's choice. It's saying that any one of these other realities could exist if you chose and not that you have the power to will things to be so to speak but if you want to go to heaven you have the free will to if you want to disobey god you have the free will to if i wanted to get up this morning i even asked my wife like you want to sleep in this morning but i was obedient and i got out of bed there's not some alternate universe where i didn't get out of bed i didn't choose that and with that all of those things all of those choices come under the authority of this one who sat on the throne. And as we get through the rest of Revelation, Lord willing, let's remember who's the one calling the shots. Who's the one willing all of this to happen? And when we pray, Lord, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. Lord, let us take your will into consideration. 
that got our desires and wants shouldn't matter. Forgive us of that. And God, truly let your will be done. Let people come to salvation. Let people come to know you and escape the judgment to come. But God, even so, we pray, come soon, Lord Jesus. We long to be with you in heaven forever. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for creating us and giving us dominion over this planet and over those and somehow even in the spiritual realm because of your son, Jesus. So thank you for your blood and the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until